on a, um, on a good note. Exodus 35, if you were spoiled last week with those seven verses, forget it. We got more work to do this week. We got a whole chapter. And again, part of the issue here with Exodus, and well, it's not really an issue. It just, it just is what it is, is there's no good place to divide these chapters anywhere. So, and while we could spend a week or two on some of these smaller sections and try to expound them, we would miss, I think, if we did it that way, the forest for the trees. And I have always been big on making sure we see things in their context, both in the chapter and in the book as a whole. So that requires us to keep some regular, some regular speed, which means there are Sundays where we just have to, you know, assault 35 verses like this, but it is okay. There'll be a lot, of, a lot of bulk that we take in there today and we get something out of it. I just realized something. What's the over-under on how many times I'm going to kick that this morning? Should we go ahead and set that now? Because <laughs> that would be worse, right? There you go. So in Exodus, we have been taught numerous times, every time Israel turns around and gets something wrong, God does what? God instructs them. How has that gone for Israel? Has that, has that helped them? Have they utilized that as a way to walk the straight and narrow? No. Christian, when you are continually explaining and telling and te- teaching and doing all these things, how often does it feel like you're accomplishing anything? <laughs> what did Israel need? What does Israel need as we're going through this in order to remain faithful? Do they need better knowledge? They need better what? Yeah, they, they need better thems, better hearts, better minds. Christian, the world around you, does it need a better law? Does it need better teachers? Does it need better instructions? What does it need? It needs better hearts. The same is true today as then. This is why, you ready for your technical terms of the day? Your Old Testament is didactic in nature without being didactic in form. And most of you, yes, ooh, most of you, since you didn't get a degree in education like I did and you were better off, um, have no idea what I just said, but didactic is teaching literature. Your old te- so your New Testament epistles are meant to teach. Like, like Paul wasn't writing a letter to the Ephesians just because they were pen pals. He was writing a letter to the Ephesians to teach them something. So by definition, the epistles of the New Testament are teaching literature. They are didactic. The vast majority of your Old Testament is what we call historical narrative. It is telling you the story of what was going on, but it is doing so so that you will learn from it. So it is didactic in nature without being didactic in form. You with me so far? Today is a wonderful example of that. We learn from seeing and doing. Let's be honest. The lessons you've learned and carried on the best are the things that you repeated, not not things people told you. I mean, great example of this. I, for, um, for a couple of years and what seems like another lifetime ago, was, the, uh, was an assistant manager of a, uh, of a sandwich-type place, sandwich cookies. You know, it, was, it was basically a rip-off of Starbucks and Panera all shoved into one. And Cameron and I got to talk about it the other day, and I had the most depressing thought. She goes, that was such a good sandwich you guys used to have there, that hoot owl. And I went, no, because she said hoot owl. You know what my brain did? Sourdough, mayonnaise, lettuce, tomato. Bean sprouts, Vidalia onion, four ounces of turkey, a slice of hearty cheese, slice it on the corner. <laughs> I haven't worked there since 2005. And then I started thinking about the rest of the menu and I got really depressed. Because I could sit there just, as long as I kind of put myself there, I can, I can still, like, 
where was the ham? Where was the turkey? Where was the roast beef? Where was the sourdough? Where was the... <laughs> I don't want to remember these things. I'm going to wake up and have nightmares. Uh, another good one is the repetition of things. Oh, I've, I've done this to you before, but it's worth doing again. When I was in the eighth grade, so I was 13 years old, so 20... Hang on, i got to do math. 27 years ago. You know states have, like, there's a state bird and a state motto and a... States have a toast. Not like with bread, but like cheers, you know, with a drink. Here's to the land of the longleaf pine, the summer land where the sun doth shine, where the wheat grows strong and the strong grow great. Here's to down home, the old north state. That's the state toast of North Carolina. Do you know why I know that 27 years later? Because in my class of 30 people, we had to memorize it for a grade. So I went home that, the night before, like, you know, you did everything in that time. And I crammed it into my head. And then I sit down and go, at some point I'm going to get, because how you do recitations, at some point I'm going to get called up to our teacher's desk, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to recite it, right? No. God bless good old Pete Edwards, our football coach, who was my eighth grade history teacher. He had us recited in front of the whole class. I was so mad, I'm like, why did I study? The only reason I needed to study is if I went in the first three, because after about three people, you know what I couldn't possibly do if my life depended on it? Forget it, to the point that 27 years later... It's right there, whether I like it or not. These are your teachers. Since you can't live 27 lifetimes to hear all of these things, what you can get is the repetition of seeing the failures of Israel, the failures of humanity, but more importantly, the way God redeems and deals with his people on that basis throughout those narratives. This is why it does you good to read this stuff, even if you don't necessarily get all the little details. It shows you who God is and what is necessary so that when Christ comes and the revelation is completed and it is shining brightly, you don't miss it because you see the fulfillments as they go. Exodus 35 is a good example. So let's dive in. Sound like fun? All right. Moses assembled all the congregation of the sons of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. This is good. We need to be reminded of our fault and of God's work. Well, what's our fault? Exodus 32. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. What's changed? Nothing. What's God's work in light of that? I think a great place to go for this is Deuteronomy. If you, if you want to skip around in your Bible and, and not die in Leviticus like everybody does, because everybody does this. I'm going to read my Bible through this year, and you have so much fun reading Genesis, and then you get into Exodus, and you start slowing down a little bit, and then you know where everybody quits, right? Numbers. No, nobody gets to Numbers, because what comes after Exodus? Nobody gets through Leviticus. You just, everybody dies in Leviticus. Sorry, skip Leviticus, skip Numbers, and read Deuteronomy right after you read Exodus. It will help you make sense of things because everything that has been experienced in Exodus, and then go back, by the way, and read Leviticus and Numbers. They are good for you. But read Deuteronomy after you read Exodus because you'll see Moses teaching the people in light of what has just gone on. Deuteronomy 7. This is, this is Moses at his sarcastic best, and, I, and I'm, I'm here for this. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Um, that's the polite way of saying the Lord didn't pick you because you were good. The Lord picked you because you were kind of useless. <laughs> and, and I appreciate that honesty for Moses. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your 
forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation. But with those who he loves, I'm sorry, with those who love him and keep his commandments, but repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with those who hate him. He will repay him to his face. So in other words, you're terrible at all of this, and God has redeemed you anyway. Christian, that's a good place to start, believe it or not. I'm not good. I'm not righteous. I'm not holy in and of myself. But in Christ, I am good. In Christ, I am holy. In Christ, I am redeemed. Not in and of myself, but in and of and because of him. My day starts and my life is oriented on praise of God for who he is and what he has done. So with that reminder, it's time to teach, right? That's why we're assembling them. What shall we command them? What's the most important thing you could give them? This is the thing you lead with. You ready? For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Sabbath? Like if you got to give your lead-off commandment, what would you have gone with? You'd have been like, no other gods. After what happened the last time Moses came down the mountain, maybe reminded them about that whole don't make any idols business. You know, something like that, right? Moses goes Sabbath on them. Why? I think we can make a good case, Matthew 22. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, I'm sorry, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now, we made mention of this all the way back when we went through the Ten Commandments themselves. That commandments four and five, the Sabbath command and the command to uh, honor parents so that you will live long in the land, function as hinges. They move you from the vertical to the horizontal because both of those commandments have both vertical and horizontal components. Quiz time. You ready? I always warn you there'll be a test on this later. I cannot stop coughing today. The heat is running. My skin is dry. I'm going to run out of water. I'm going to kind of have a voice sooner than later. It's going to be a day. What is slash was the purpose of Moses teaching the people? Is it to give them a list of commandments? Give them a do and a don't list. What's the point of the teaching? It's to point them to God and the work that he has done. That's why we start with a Sabbath command. What's the point of the Sabbath? See, because the starting point is to not work. But to not work, why? It's an honor. It's worship. It's not a commandment about what you do. It's a commandment about who you are. Always remember, context is king in understanding your Bible. Go back to their world. If something gets into your crops, what do you eat? If something goes after your flocks, what will you slaughter for food in the winter? What will you wear for clothing? What what will you provide for your family with? Now, if I told you that you had this little field over here, and out of this field, little could be a few acres, it doesn't matter, out of this field is everything to provide for your family, how much would you safeguard it? How much would you protect it? 
how hard would you work in it? Welcome to the ancient world. It's what we call a hand-to-mouth existence. There's no concept of tons of savings. There's no concept. I mean, unless for very few very rich people or, or royalty or even when you get to the Middle Ages, nobility. You grow it, you eat it. If you don't grow it, you don't eat it. Or you got to find somebody who will give you some food for your work. You do this every single day until you die. And along comes Yahweh and says, oh, by the way, one day a week? No, you don't. What do you mean, no, I don't? Do you have any idea what could happen to the crops? Do you have anything, any idea what could happen to the livestock? Do you have any idea what people could steal, what they could do? What, I mean, that's my entire life. And God says, no, it's not. What is your entire life? God is your entire life. Who will safeguard your crops, Israel? Who will protect your flocks and your herds? Who will ensure that the bandits do not enter into your borders, O Israel? God will. The command to rest is a command to trust, a command to live by faith and not by sight. I mean, let's be honest. How many people in Israel do you think got up each Sabbath and went, I'm just going to go look, just to make sure nothing's happened. Just, you know, just go see. Yeah, okay, they're all still there. Okay, we're not going to die this week. It's a good week. Do I trust God to protect me? Do I trust God to provide for me? Do I trust God to safeguard over my life? No, I trust who? Me. Did I go do any work on the Sabbath? No. Did I violate the command? Yes. No kind of about it. Because the command is not about the work that I do, it's about the trust and the faith that I live out. That's why Jesus would say, and would talk to the Pharisees about this, when you have an animal and he falls into the pit on the Sabbath, what do you do? Do you look at the donkey and go, well, you know, I'd like to get you out of there, but God's just going to have to levitate you up there because it's a Sabbath and all. No, you get him out. You do that. Why? Because it's a necessity. You didn't go seeking the work. It just happens. Dumb animals sometimes do dumb things. What's the rule? Okay. Just making sure we're still paying attention. That's why Moses, to reset the people, starts with a Sabbath command. It's not about, hey, guys, make sure, like, don't make idols. We should have covered that one already after we killed a bunch of people. But um, don't do any work on the Sabbath. It's not about the work. It's about their hearts. He's starting them in the right place to orient their hearts and minds to God. Again, I can't change your actions if I'm constantly warring against what you want. This is why we look at the world and say, I don't need a better law. I need a better people. In order to change what you do, I have to change what you want. In order to change what you want, I have to change who you are on the inside. That's what the Sabbath is meant to do for Israel. And my pages are now sticking together. See, nothing wants to work today. I blame the chicken. It's your fault. There we go. Moses spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it to the Lord, bring it as the Lord's contribution. So Moses is being faithful. Moses was commanded to do this all the way back in Exodus 25. I want to read that to you. Tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. Now, notice the Exodus 25 language and notice the language that is also used here. Does Moses go through the crowd with a stick to go get some money? No, why not? What's the language that's used here? Yeah, willing heart, those whose hearts have moved them. In other words, the people who actually have a desire to contribute to the work of God here. 
This is why I love Paul moving forward, 2 Corinthians 9. This I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, I love Paul because if you ever ask Paul, I mean, if you want to summarize 2 Corinthians, because it's really like 7, 8, 9, kind of lays this out. If you, want to, if you want to summarize Paul's stance on giving in the church in 2 Corinthians, if you ask Paul, Paul, how much should I give? You know what Paul's answer is? Pretty much. Paul's like, well, what you got? How much can you part with? Well, I could part with five bucks. Could you part with 10? Well, probably. Then can they give 10? Could you part with 15? Not really. Then give 10. That's Paul's answer. How much you got? <laughs> what should I give? How much you got? He doesn't care about the standard. He cares about your heart. In other words, what are you willing to do? This is where Paul gets an idea like this from. What are you prepared to do? What are you prepared to contribute? What are you prepared to cooperate with? You've heard me say this before, I'll say it again. If you are part of a church or a ministry or anything going on in life that is not being obedient to God, you know what you are not required to do? Give them anything. Not only are you not required to give them anything, you're required to look at other people and go, don't give them anything, they're terrible at this. But conversely, Christian, when you run across a ministry or a church of the people of God who are engaged in godly work, you know what you should do? Ask yourself, how can I contribute? How can I participate? What can I do? I can pray. I can give. I can work. I can do something because this is how I cooperate for the faith. You see that beginning right here in Exodus. What are we going to rely on? We're going to rely on the work of who, by the way? Willing hearts. We don't need better people. We need better hearts, right? Well, we need better people. We need better hearts to get better people. We don't need better commands. We need better willingness. Who are we relying on to change their hearts? God. You can see this in Paul and other places other than money if you read Philemon. Though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, for love's sake I rather appeal to you since I am such a person as Paul, the aged and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I love how Paul, Paul knows when to use guilt. Like, I could make you do it, but I, a person like Paul, who's old and in prison, am asking. (laughs) My grandmother used to do stuff like that. And Cameron will vouch for that. My grandmother had guilt down to a science. It wasn't until you finally got to a place where you didn't care about the guilt anymore that it stopped working. But that was my, I'll just be in my chair, just sitting here. It's like, oh my goodness, get in the car, lady, come on. (laughs) You think I'm kidding. You think I'm kidding. Why? Why could Paul... And by the way, Paul was appealing for Onesimus, a slave, to be released. But just like he asked the Corinthians, give what you want to give. Give what you think you can give. He's asking Philemon to do what? Do what you think is right. Even though we both know what is right, do what you think is right. Why can Paul rest there? 2 Corinthians 5. The love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who, might, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. See, same idea here. Moses isn't told to take a stick and go through the crowd and get some money. He's told to go and say, hey, we're collecting for the tabernacle. All who are willing to give, give. Why? Because it's a trust in God. And it's the assumption that you, the redeemed Israel, people of God, wish to contribute to the work of God. Paul does the same thing in the New Testament because the assumption is what? You, Christian, redeemed of God, will do what? Contribute to the work of the kingdom. 
If you see the work of the kingdom, you will be on board. If you see not the work of the kingdom, you will be not on board. That is how this is always supposed to work. We give each other the benefit of the doubt until you prove otherwise. And that's in every avenue of life. Assume fellow believers are actually trying to honor God until they prove differently. Will that get us hurt? Yeah. Will that get us taken advantage of? Yeah. Does that matter? No. You name the name of Christ, I give you the benefit of the doubt. You stop acting like you name the name of Christ, I no longer give you the benefit of the doubt. I am wise still in this world. I am not required to let you beat me over the head 27 times until I can't get up anymore. But I am required to trust you when you say you changed. I am required to give you a little bit of benefit of the doubt. I'm not required to give you the stick to hit me with, but I am required to think that you're not going to keep whacking me and at least be able to turn my back. There's a difference in these things. It's trusting in the work not of you, trusting in the work not of the other person. It's trusting in the work of God. When you reveal that God is not at work, then what do we do, Christian? What was the constant reminder? Proclaim. Warn. Trust in God. So, what are they taking up as a contribution? Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, scarlet material, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skin dyed red, porpoise skins, acacia wood, oil for lighting, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and setting stones for the ephod and for the breastpiece. So, we've seen this before. This is a listing of the stuff for the tabernacle. Okay. This is actually a bigger deal than we realize because Exodus 35 spends almost no time explaining this. What is the purpose for the existence of the tabernacle? It's where the ark is going to go so that God may dwell amongst the people. Hasn't that kind of been a concern for the last couple of chapters? Remember the sin of Israel and Moses making supplication and Moses saying, and God telling them, get up and go into the land, but I will not go with you. If, I'm not going to, if God's not going to go with them, what do they not need? They don't need the tabernacle. But God is telling Moses, go collect stuff to build the tabernacle, which means what? Therefore I pray, this is Moses speaking in Exodus 33, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And God said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. And then he said to him, Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here, for then how can we know, or how can it be known, that I have found favor in your sight and I your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I, and your people may be distinguished from all the other peoples who are upon the face of the earth? In other words, Moses is saying, what makes us special? It's not us, it's God. So if you're not going with us, then there shouldn't be an us. Here's God saying what? Go collect the offering. Go take up the stuff so that we can build the tabernacle because who's going to go with the people? Now do you understand why Moses could tell the Israelites he will not leave you nor forsake you? Because if there was ever a time when God should have, it was the first time Moses came down the mountain. And yet, you have the mercy of God on full display. Let every skillful man among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. All right, this is where we need good Whitney Houston theology, right? You're sitting there going, what on earth could he possibly be thinking, right? How will they know? I will spare you the me trying to dance, right? How will I know if he really loves me? Okay, I won't spare you, but... <laughs> oh, come on, your, your morning would not have been complete if I didn't do that, and you know it. You know it, right? We talked about this before, though. 
Craftsmen. How many of you are crafty, able to work with your hands, build stuff here and there, right? Do you want this? God's laid down the instructions to make it precisely. You are going to build the dwelling place of God amongst his people. Um, <laughs> I'm good, but I don't know if I'm that good. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's that, it's that sciatica acting up again. <laughs> exactly. Exodus 31. Behold, I myself have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill that they may make all that I have commanded you. In other words, Moses doesn't have to go find them. God's already picked them. He's already empowered them and he's already strengthened them. So when Moses says, I need workmen, the workmen go, oh, that's me. I mean, would you be that brave? Would you want to be that bold? I mean, let's be honest. Even if you're really good at something, how often do you want to have people watch you do it? I mean, this, you want to talk about fun in life. My, my father-in-law, I, 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 for, a, for a short period, I was able to help him move, uh, move trailers around while he's picking and doing this, that, and the other. And if you've never had to, to back up a short trailer with a pickup truck, it can be a little nerve-wracking if you don't do it regularly. What's funny, though, is my father-in-law has done it for like 50 years. He's in his 60s. He's been doing it since he was a kid with tractors and trucks. You want to give that man a complex? Just get a crowd of people to stare at him while he's got to do it. And even though he's done it for 50 years, you start getting a little, yeah. I mean, he, he helped me at one point. We, uh, we had some trees leaning towards our house and wanted to take him down. And so he came out and helped me clear out some trees. And again, he's been doing logging in the off season. You did it professionally for a little while. I mean, he's been doing that. He's been working with a chainsaw again, 40, 50 years. We were working on this tree, nothing major. And all of a sudden he just kind of stops and puts the chainsaw down. What just happened? Did we break something? I, I was confused. He's like, there's a crowd gathering and I don't like working with an audience. But three or four guys had been doing something across the street. They'd stopped what they were doing and were just kind of sitting over there by the truck watching us cut down trees. I mean, how many people are going to come by and watch you build the tabernacle? <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about feeling like one of the monkeys at the zoo? You'd be like, <laughs> would you go away? <laughs> That's why God has to strengthen. You know what the number one, people, number one reason people tell me they don't want to, to live out their faith is? Well, what might they think? What might people say? What are they going to... The answer becomes, Christian, who do you care about? Who are you worried about? See, these guys are like, we need some craftsmen. I'm in. Don't know why I'm in, but I'm in. Because God is strengthened. God is picked. And by the way, Christian, this is very, very instructive for you in your Christian living. Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, we do such a good job of breaking our arms, patting ourselves on the back. Did you actually catch the flow of that sentence? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Do you know what the phrase, that not of yourselves, refers to? Hang on, catch this. You have been saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. What's that? Faith is that. You have been saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. In other words, when I say you're bad at this, and by the way, when I say you're bad at this, I mean me too. Like, we're all terrible at this. When I say we're bad at this, 
we're not even good enough to trust God rightly. He has to strengthen us to trust him. You have been saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. That God has to change your heart in order for you to even be capable of trusting him. God must change you in order for you to be able to live this out. Christian, this should be very good news for the world. What is your power? Like, why are you walking around shining that light? Because it's Christ's work that's in you. So when you are doing this, this is not something that you have come up with. This is not something that you have invented. This is not even something that you have pulled up from the depths of yourself to portray. This is something that God has given. Which means when they look at you like you've got 97 heads and have completely lost your mind, who are they really looking at weirdly? They're looking at God. They're looking at you. That's not you. Not the you the way you would want it to be. It's the way you want it to be in Christ. But not the way that if we were really honest with ourselves, what we would desire. Which means when they look that way at us and when they walk away, have I failed? Has the word failed? No. It's not time. This is a comfort for your evangelism. This is a comfort for your discipleship. That we walk trusting God to work. That Why are there going to be craftsmen? Why are there going to be donations for the tabernacle? Because the Israelites have finally learned their lesson at the foot of the mountain and we have sinned enough and we are sorry and we are going to get it right. No, they can't. They can't. I mean, Moses comes to them and they're like, we're going to be delivered. We're going to be delivered. Pharaoh made our work harder. We don't like you anymore, Moses. What's wrong with you? Look how much work you've made for us. Go away. And then God does all the miraculous signs in Egypt. And then they're walking towards the Red Sea. And they're at the corner of the Red Sea. And we're like, we're all going to die. We can't do it. Why'd you bring us out here? We could have died and been buried in Egypt. We had food in Egypt. We're going to just die here by the corner of the sea. Did you not just, did you see the hail and the darkness and the death of the firstborn? And you heard the wailing and you saw the frogs and the water to bleed. Like you saw like the cattle just dropping dead in the fields over there. Like, I mean, we, we joked about this. Remember, it was dark in Egypt. It, it wasn't in Goshen. <laughs> I mean, do you ever process that? Like, if you were in Goshen, the sun was shining and there was light out. And if you walked into Egypt, it was dark. And I don't mean like dark at night when the moon and the stars are. I mean, it was dark. Go outside, turn all the, go camping, turn all the lights off, and then close off the stars. It's like... How many fingers am I holding up? I don't know, and they're attached to me. It's that dark. So dark you can feel it. I'm in Goshen. It's light. I'm in Egypt. It's dark. They lived that, and they're like, well, God can't save us now because there's an army in water, and what are we going to do? And the Red Sea parts, and they walk through on dry land, and they go into the desert and be like, we're hungry. There was food in Egypt. Feed us. We're thirsty. There's no water. They can't. Moses goes up the mountain for a couple of weeks. We don't know what's happened to him. It's literally quaking and lightning and the glory of God is shining in the mountain. We don't know where he is. It's the darndest thing. He just went up the mountain. He was gone. That whole cloud of God thing swallowed him up. We're all doomed. What do you know? Who'd have thunk it? Let's make a calf. They can't get better at this. So where does the offering come from? Where do the craftsmen come from? 
We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these who he called, he also justified. And these who he justified, he also glorified. Now, I'm, I'm being polite. I'm trying to be very, very careful this morning on this little section because I am treading into doctrines that have a tendency to really annoy and divide people and that kills me because it shouldn't. So there are two schools of thought on everything that I'm saying right now and I'll, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version of both of them because it, it, it's helpful. There is the school of thought that is where I'm standing right now that says, look, you evangelize someone, God has to change them in order for them to respond to God. And then there's another school of thought that says that God has provided enough common grace to the world that if you proclaim to them the truth, there is enough of a light in the world that they can respond to God and then he will transform them. Okay? I have an opinion. You can have an opinion. I don't care. Do you know why? What's the calling on the Christian in both scenarios? Proclaim goodness. Proclaim the message. Live faithfully. Make disciples and to walk fearfully trusting God in this world. What's the active portion for the believer that's different? And the answer is, there isn't one. You know what I care about? I care about why are you doing what you're doing. And the answer that should be given always is because this is how God has called me to live. This is who God has called me to be. This is how he has instructed me in his word. And because he has redeemed me and saved me from the pit of death and destruction and judgment, I love him and hate the things that might have put anybody over there. Therefore, I do the things that honor him, and I seek to live a life that is pleasing in his sight. Not because I am good, but because I've recognized that I'm not good, and even though I am not good, his grace and his mercy has been provided, and that not of myself was given, so that his light shines and his goodness reigns, and my heart is new, and his kingdom will come. Hallelujah, because that's where I want to be. Again, not because I'm good and in myself I desire this, because he has changed me. There will be craftsmen. There will be an offering because his work has been done. So we're going to make all that the Lord has commanded. You ready, rapid fire time? The tabernacle, its tent, its covering, its hooks, its boards, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, the ark and its poles, the mercy seat, the curtain of the screen, the table and its poles and all its utensils, the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light and its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light, the altar of incense and its poles, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the doorway at the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the cord, its pillars and its sockets and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the woven garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons to minister as priest. <sighs> we can go through that rapid fire because you can go look it up on YouTube and get the old sermons. We went through all of that individually to show you what all that was. That was chapters worth of stuff. There's your Reader's Digest version. Again, all of that stuff is meant to point Israel to God, point them in proper worship, point them to the redemption that God has accomplished and all that he has done. Who is the one who is empowering all this work again? Isaiah 45. You want to understand your prophets? Understand what? The work of God in the Exodus. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you though you have not known me. Did you ever catch that before? 
Why? You'll be girded up. You'll be strengthened, even though you don't know who he is. In other words, saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift. That men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. In other words, everything in this world, how much of it just kind of slipped by God and happened all by itself? Not a single bit. That's why people get a little twisted on this. Well, that terrible calamity that happened, well, God didn't cause that. You sure about that? But it was a tornado and it was terrible. I'm aware of that. And in a sinful world with sinful people that God is dealing with righteously, can you not think of any righteous reasons why God would have either caused that or allowed that event to occur? Because I can think of dozens. He's judging sin. He's chasing the wayward believer back to himself. He's purifying the hearts of his people who will now learn to not trust in their things but to trust in the God who provided for them. There's just a couple. And he's doing that day in and day out for his people and for those who are hating him, for those he is drawing to himself, for those he he is redeeming, and for those he is righteously judging for their sin. He's doing that every single day. Which is why the call to the Christian is always perseverance. Life is not perfect. We wish it was, don't we? I mean, let's be honest. Wouldn't that be much more fun? Do you learn stuff always when it's fun? I mean, I try to make stuff fun, but at the end of the day, even the stuff we do on a Sunday morning still has to be a little dry at times, right? There are just times when we just got to be adults, put our, put our big boy pants on, and deal with life. Sometimes it is what it is. We have to do that day in and day out and recognize that if life were fun, we honestly wouldn't learn. We wouldn't strengthen our faith because everything would be awesome, and what would happen? Uh-huh. I mean, you, you always had that fun aunt or uncle, right? or the fun family member that everything... And you're always like, man, it'd be so much fun if I could live there. As an adult, you realize what? You can't live like that. And if that fun aunt or uncle, if they had kids, did their kids view them the same way that you viewed them? No. Because they could be fun with you because you're not their kid. You're going home. Like, your grandparents that spoil you, did they spoil your parents? (laughs) Not in the same way. Why? Different relationships different purpose. Life isn't always fun. We do the things that are good and right, not always the things that we enjoy. And God who loves us gives us the things that are good and right, not always the things that we enjoy. It's up to us as we travel this world to figure out what is he teaching, how is he pruning, how is he strengthening. So all the congregation of the sons of Israel departed from Moses' presence. How does that typically go? Like, Israel gets commanded, and then they walk out to go do something. How does that typically end? Yeah, not good. Christian, why will this time be different? I'll tell you why. You ready for a lesson in hermeneutics? Hermeneutics is the science of reading your Bible. One of the things you should always look for when reading large sections are repeated phrases or themes. All right? So I'm going to read you this long section. It's 21 through 29. I want you to see if you pick up a theme. It should be really, really obvious. You ready? 
Everyone whose heart was stirred in him and everyone whose spirit moved him came and brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. Then all whose hearts moved them, both men and women, came and brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets, all articles of gold. So did every man who presented an offering of gold to the Lord. Every man who had an blue and purple and scarlet material and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skin, dyed red and porpoise skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver and bronze brought the Lord's contribution, and every man who had in his possession acacia wood for any of the work, any work of the service brought it. All the skilled women spun with their hands and brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet material and fine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred with the skill spun the goat's hair. The rulers brought the onyx stones and the stones for setting for the ephod and the breastpiece, and the spice and the oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. The Israelites, all the men and women whose heart moved them to bring material for all the work which the Lord had commanded through Moses to be done, brought a free will offering to the Lord. Who picked up the theme other than the listing of stuff? What was it? Who's you think God didn't recognize the fact that he'd already told you twice that it was going to be a matter of whose hearts were stirred? He knew that. So why the drubbing? It's about your heart, Christian. Who you are is not determined by what is out here. It's determined by what is in here. Now, you ready? This is where we make some application. This is why your weapon of choice in this world matters so very much. Hebrews chapter 4. The Word of God. What's the Word of God in your world, Christian? just making sure we're on the same page, talking about the Bible, right? Is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, when we go out into the world with anything other than the Word of God, we have gone out unarmed. We have gone out with not the thing that changes the heart, without the thing that brings grace and faith from God and the work of the Holy Spirit. See, if I attempt to change your actions, I change what you do, what am I going to end up having to argue about? I'm going to have to argue about why what I want you to do is good and why what you want to do is bad and vice versa. I'm going to have to prove it to you. I'm going to have to bring you scientific studies and all sorts of lovely things. Christian, you ever watched a political debate? No, I'm serious. Have fun. You know what what we used to do is punishment, right? When you were in in social studies class, go watch C-SPAN. It's hysterical because it's, it's preening for the cameras trying to convince each other's sides, right? And you'll see what? We make presentations, and you'll see this one senator, he's got his flow charts over here, and, and this guy's got a flip chart over there, and we're all going to, and it's color-coded, and, and then we're going to release this study, and we, I mean, watch the news. Well, this doctor says this. Well, yeah, well, this doctor says that. Oh, yeah, well, this doctor has 27 PhDs. Oh, yeah, well, this one's got 28 and three master's degrees. <laughs> Why? Because we're arguing about what we're supposed to do. We're arguing about what's outside of us. Even if I want to change your mind, I have to do the exact same thing. No, Christian. How does God work? He doesn't change your actions or your mind. He changes who you are. Heart of stone, ripped out, thrown away, you know, Indiana Jones style. Flesh implanted. It's a different Indiana Jones, by the way. That's, that's the second one where they got the, the guy ripping the heart out and the stone things. And <laughs> Some of you are trying to process, what is he talking about? It's okay. 
By the way, Christian, nothing new here. Listen to how this is explained in your New Testament. He is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. That's Paul in Romans 2. He's laying out, what makes you a descendant of Abraham? The fact that you're circumcised, the fact that you were born to the right parents. You wanted to be a Jew, but you picked the wrong parents. Too bad. You're out of luck, bud. No, what makes you a Jew? The change of the heart. Inheritor of the promise because of the work that God has done. Deuteronomy 10, Paul didn't pull this out of thin air. On your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples. I love how Moses says that. Even you. <laughs> Again, Moses twisted that knife. Remember, why did God pick you? It's not because you're good, but because you're terrible. So he set his love, even you above all peoples, as it is to this day. So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. You know the stiff neck I referenced to, right? If you can, you've, you've ever pulled a muscle in your neck, got in a car accident, gotten whiplash? What, what can't you do for a couple of days? You can't turn. Well, if I can't turn my head, you know what I don't typically also do? You want, I mean, you want to have some fun? Walk around in your kitchen. You know what you'll do? I want to go get something out of the fridge. I want to go back to the stove. You, most of the time, you turn your head first, and then you turn your body. Israel's problem was in their sin, they couldn't turn their necks, therefore which way did they go? I go this way, because it's, it's too hard for me to turn around to look at you, so I don't go that way, I just keep going this way. What's the cure for that? Got to loosen up that neck, right? Well, before I loosen up the neck, I got to loosen up my heart. Once again, you want to understand your prophets? Jeremiah chapter 4. Thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and to Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskins of your heart. Men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or else my wrath will go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. In other words, Israel... Be faithful to God, how? By doing better? No, by being different, by calling out to him, trusting in his work. That's why Jesus could tell you, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why would you call upon him? Because you've recognized that I can't do this because I'm no good at this. In other words, by grace, through faith. Nothing has changed Nothing is new. You see God demonstrating it through Israel. What was, what was different about this people that were down the mountain making the calf and everybody and their uncle engaged in debauchery? That was the last time he came down the mountain. This time it's what? Oh, this time we're going to give all the stuff that we got from the Egyptians. This time we're going to provide for the tabernacle. This time we're going to do all of this work. Why? Because God has changed their hearts. Then Moses said to the sons of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all craftsmanship, to make designs for working in gold and in silver and in bronze, and in the cutting of stones for settings and in the carving of wood, so as to perform in every inventive work. He has also put in his heart to teach both he and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. See, this becomes a fitting conclusion. 
Why, we covered this last week, let's, let's bring these two things together. Why should Israel trust Moses? As Moses is standing here talking to them, what's odd about Moses? He's glowing. <laughs> the glory of the Lord is shining off of his face. He looks like he just took a tour through the wrong end of the nuclear plant. And they're all sitting there going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Can you please put the veil back on and stop talking to us now, please? Please? Thank you? Thank you? No? Okay, not yet. All right. Pay attention. They should listen to Moses because God is obviously at work in him. This was the reason for the miraculous signs that Moses was to perform. Um, Christian, fast forward to your New Testament. Why should anybody be following along with Jesus? I mean, how many guys do you know that walk on water, make food out of thin air, command the weather? Yeah, turn the water into wine. <laughs> cast out demons, tell dead people they're not allowed to be dead anymore. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's still my all-time favorite. Is it's, it's, it's in the beginning chapters of Luke where the, the widow of Nain and her, her son has died and they go through and the funeral procession is going on. It's not like they're all crowded around the bed and he's just passed and the doctor's like, we did all that we could. He's gone, Jim. I don't know. Okay, so at least somebody got that one good. I mean, they're having the funeral They've decided where to bury him. They've changed his clothes. They've put him in a box. The funeral procession is coming through the town, and Jesus goes, oh, hold up. Hey, kid, get out. And he does. Yeah. Everybody in, the, everybody in town should have been, okay, so that just happened. Oh, I mean, I mean, that's one of those. You can't even freak out about that, right? That would just be so insanely. Can you even panic and just be like, we are going to have lots of therapy now. Let's go talk. i got to work this one out to think through some things. This is why the works were given. This is John 5, the explanation for the why. Um, why should we be trusting Aholiab and um, Bezalel? Because God's empowered them. How do I know God's empowered them? Because the glowing face guy said that he did. And everything else Moses has said has been from God. And everything else Moses has told us has come true. So you know what we're going to do? We're just going to trust this one. All right. This will be the first time Israel has just trusted this one. So why would they do that? For the same reason they gave of the offering. For the same reason the craftsmen have been empowered. Because God is changing the heart. He has filled them with skill to perform every work of an engraver and of a designer and of an embroiderer in blue and in purple and in scarlet material, in fine linen and of a weaver as performers of every work and maker of every design. John 20 connects this idea. Many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Let's be honest. Don't you want to know what the other works were? I mean, don't you want to know? Like, there was more? Like, what? What, what else? Like, what? <laughs> I have so many questions that I don't get answered. Mm. They're written. They accomplish. Why does it work? Because it's the means that God has ordained to change the hearts and minds. It is the thing that judges, that the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance to judge sin. It is the thing that separates you from you so that you can see you clearly. That's why we wield it. That's why we lean on it. First Peter 2. Coming to him is to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up 
as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. When we talk about nothing new under the sun, did you know Peter didn't come up with that by himself? He who believes in him will not be disappointed. It's a quote. Isaiah 28. Hear the word of the Lord, O scoffers, who rule this people who are in Jerusalem. Do you think maybe that's something we should be thinking about in this world? Hey, politician. Hey, whoever. Hear the word of the Lord. Oh, you laugh at that? Okay. Because you have said we have made a covenant with death, and with the grave we have made a pact. The overwhelming scourge will not reach us when it passes by. We have made falsehood our refuge, and we have concealed ourselves with deception. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, tempted in all ways as we are, and yet without sin, a costly cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed." We have been redeemed not with perishable things like gold and silver, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. Every problem of humanity and of the societies that humanity can build can be traced to sin. It's our great failing because it's who we are and it's what we want. It's what we desire. The cure is not to come up with a better law not to come up with a better argument, but to come up with a better person. What changes the hearts and minds of men? See, we mock at the world now, and the world may mock at Isaiah. Oh, you mean we've made a pact with death and a covenant with the grave? We deal in falsehoods. Have you watched the news lately? Have you you seen what the world desires, what the world craves, and what it points to? I don't watch the news. You're better off. It's a matter of this place and this place only. There's a way which seems right to a man and in the way that, ends, that, led, that leads to death because that's where it all goes because the wages of sin are death but the free gift of God. In other words, all of our problems are who we are because of our sin. All of the cure for that is not who we are, but who Christ is. And the only way we point to him is by rightly wielding the weapon that he has provided. Don't believe me? Go read Ephesians 6 for homework and find all the offensive weapons you get in the armor of God. You get one, the word. Why? Because it's sharper than any sword. It's smarter than you. It's funnier than you. It's more clever than you. Again, dumbest thing I'm going to say all morning. God is better at doing his job than I am. He is. So what has he told me to do? He has told me to walk in the ways that he has commanded, to trust in his provisions, and to proclaim his mercies and his goodness according to his word. And that when I do that, I am wielding the weapons of the spirit and the weapons that God has provided. So when I don't do that, I'm wielding something else. May it never be, Christian. May we be a people that stands firm on who God is, the way that he has presented himself. Because who changed you? What made you different today from 10, 20, 30 years ago? Grace and mercy of God. So what do I live for? The same thing. What do I proclaim? The same thing. Well, the world's going to think you're dumb. Have at it. God has redeemed me. 
God has saved me. I don't care. I don't care what you think. I care where you go. But you got to take that up between you and God. And here's how you get there. The same way I'm getting there is the same way you get there. Which is, again, what does Paul tell you? Follow after me as I follow after Christ. Same thing. Same thing. So people say, I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, you do. How'd you get there? Start there and keep moving from that. Because it's the weapon that he's given. Why will it, when Israel succeeds, let's be honest, how many successes from Israel have we had? Have we had a whole bunch that we could celebrate? No, no, very few helmet stickers. Very few. When they succeed, it's because of who? God. Christian, when we succeed and stand firm, it will be because of who? God. Go and do likewise. Let's pray.